So Hebrews 10, 25 is where I would like to begin reading so we can make this connection as to where we go into Hebrews 11, which is this um, great uh, faith chapter. Pray once more. Father God, be with the preaching of your word. Help us to hear it. Help us be changed by it. Help us to give close attention to it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse uh, 35. He's, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For, and he quotes Habakkuk, yet a little while... And the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up, so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark, for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had promised the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. 
He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The word of the Lord. I just wanted to read that because it is the word of God. And this great faith chapter, if you, if you look at it and study it much, and you, it's like, if you don't know the Old Testament, none of that made much sense to you. You don't recognize the names, I don't know what he's talking about, and I just don't get it. But the book of Hebrews was written to a group of people in a church that, remember, they were, they were Jews that had come out of the synagogue. They were now believers in Jesus Christ. They had been cast out, persecuted, gathering together as the church of Christ, knew this stuff, knew it well. And the writer is telling them there's been persecution, there is hardship, there's greater persecution coming, and so how are you supposed to live? By faith. And it's the same faith they had that the patriarchs had. That Greek word there is presbuteroi. These in 11.1, the, um, the people of old, it's where we're called a Presbyterian church. It means elders or older people. Um, but these presbuteroi, the, the people of old, this is how they received their commendation, through faith. People in the Old Testament were saved by faith. 
not by works. The plan of God has been the same since the fall, since before the creation of the world, that his people would be brought together by the son, the lamb slain before the foundations of the world, purchasing a people from death and sin, and inhabiting them, creating a church, so that in glory we would all worship together as one body in Christ. And today we are witnessing the current expression of that on earth. So this is the amazing body that we are a part of. And we are united by faith. We go to Christ by faith. We are commended by faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. And yet, what we see in the writer of Hebrews, the purpose for the, this chapter in Hebrews is to encourage a group of believers who are in persecution to not give up, to stay focused on their faith, to remain faithful to Jesus Christ, to not abandon the church and go back to another religion which enables them to have uh, communal, communal and governmental protection, but one which calls them to be persecuted. And maybe you can't see it or understand it, but by faith you stay strong. And maybe you think because you're a believer you shouldn't go through anything difficult. Well, Hebrews 11 is what you throw at the prosperity preachers because these people, goodness gracious, sawn in two, um, stoned these people who were mistreated horrifically, and then he says, of whom the world was not worthy. He's talking about us. He's talking about you as the believer, that the world is not even worthy of you. Now, if you go around preaching that message about yourself to the world, you might have a bit of a bad attitude, and you might not have too many hearers, but you need to be aware when you're being mistreated, when the church of which you are a member is being mistreated or persecuted or said bad things about or tried to, you know, mistreated, that the church is not worthy. The world is not worthy of the light that shines in it. And that is not said to make us arrogant. It is said to keep us from being afraid. And it is said to keep us from believing that when things are difficult, it's because we don't have enough faith. What the author is saying here is, these people went through difficulties and their faith compelled them to press forward. And so when we begin looking, and I'm not going all the way through the chapter, we'll see, I plan to go through verse 6, but we'll see how far we get. But what I want you to notice as we go through this isn't just, hey, there's a lot of Old Testament stuff there. It goes from creation through King David and Samuel, progressively through the historical redemption that's there. It's, it's all in order. I remember I used to have trouble as a young Christian, you know, did Moses come before David? When was Abraham? You know, who, what, the order? And the thing that really showed me was our, you know, Great Commission Publications Sunday School material that has really good visuals, and they had these little, a banner that the teacher had put across the wall. Maybe it was even me, I don't know, but we put it across the top of the wall, and you could visually see the order in which all these things happen. And it was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And then you begin to see this is how God is progressively leading people up through to Jesus Christ. And it's in order here in Hebrews. And the first thing that you see is creation. 
He starts right with creation. And it's about, the, the, the underlying message of this is the faith that will preserve your souls. So this is the, again, the most important thing you're going to hear. This is the place you hear the most important message. In church, in his word. Because this is the message, this is faith that you have to have to preserve your souls. Verse 1, this is a famous verse. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now in the King James, you'll read, instead of the word assurance, you'll see the word, um, oh, what is it? I had it written down. The substance, oh, here it is. The substance of things not seen. Instead of conviction, you'll see the evidence of, let me find my place here. The evidence, okay, it's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, this is where we got to do a little bit of Greek because you want to get some nuances of words and say, all right, what does he mean by evidence? What does he mean by conviction? What does he mean by these things? And so, because we want to understand what faith is. And we just saw that the end of chapter 10 points us in this direction of understanding the great connection between faith and the preserving of our souls. So what is faith? It is this word assurance, and in King James, it's substance. And the word substance is a very good literal translation of this Greek word hypostasis. Hypodermic goes beneath the skin, the dermis. Hypostasis is that which stands beneath. So you would think it means understand, but no. It's more like the word um, substrate or a foundation. It's the thing that's underneath everything that you see, what's holding everything up, so that we would see here that faith is the foundation. You, the, that's why the word assurance works. That's why the word substance works. It's that, it's that thing that, that is beneath the things hoped for. So it's not just a mere hope. Oh, I really hope that this turns out okay. No, it is an assurance of these things. It is a firm foundation. Faith is this thing that gives you this rock solid bedrock belief. And what we'll see is the word belief and faith is the same in the in the Greek. There's not different words. Pistuo is the verb and pistos is the noun. So when we say we believe something, we we faith it. See, we don't use faith as a verb. You have to have faith. But um, to believe something is to have faith in it, is to faith something. So we'll look at this in a second. But um, it is this foundational thing beneath it, not this mere hope. It's the sure conviction. It puts the now in the not yet. So things that we are hoping for, it's, like, it's as if it's already here because faith connects us to it. And then the second part of this verse is, it's the conviction of things not seen. And again, the King James says, it's the evidence. This word can also mean it's the proof. Okay, so it's the, it, faith is not just, and he's just saying the same thing in a different way. It's not just a hopeful outlook. It is a firm conviction of the things not seen. Faith is like, you know, well, how do you know? I just know. So you tell that to a non-believer. It's like, yeah, I can say, I just know this. And one of the, the things they like to, some atheists like to cleverly attack the, 
the true Christian faith with is like, uh, well, I believe in the flying spaghetti monster. I can have faith in that. It's like, really? Do you firmly have a belief in the flying spaghetti monster? Or are you just making up some fanciful thing because you're trying to make a point? And that's what it is. They're making up a fanciful thing to try to prove a point. Now, you can have a firm conviction of the wrong things. You may have a firm conviction in Allah or in Buddha or anything like this. Other false gods, you can have faith in them. But that's what that word means. And you would be play you can have faith in your own ability to save yourself. You can have faith in your good works. But what you've done is you're placing a sure assurance of hope in the wrong thing. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is our faith is in God in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the gospel. That's where our faith is. This is the thing that connects us to the true promises. So you have to ask yourselves. Do I have that faith? How do I know that my faith in the thing that I believe in is true? By faith. <laughs> when it comes down to it, it's by faith. But then he takes us in a different direction. Not a different direction, but he takes us a little bit deeper. Because he says, for it, for by it, in other words, for by faith, the people of old received their commendation. All right, so the word commendation is where we get the word martyrer from. It's the martyrio, which is to witness something. It's in the passive voice, forgive me a second, where it means we have been witnessed of by God. It for by their faith, God witnesses of them that they are righteous, that these people are pleasing to me by their faith. And then what we see happening is they begin to do things as a result of their faith which evidences their faith and what they believe because the things that you do and say evidence what your faith is in. And then the verse 3, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. All right, so now we're talking about creation, ex nihilo. And what we mean by ex nihilo is out of nothing. A nihilist is somebody who just doesn't believe in anything. Everything's just going to come to nothing. So creation out of nothing is what he's talking about. And it's like, okay, so you just have faith in that? So as far as scientists go, as far as any evidence goes, you don't care about any of that because you just have faith in whatever. It's this blind faith type thing. And what, the, what we might miss in our English translation here is this word understand. So that the Greek word, sometimes you've got to look at these things. The Greek word underneath this word is noeo. It's where the word nous comes from, which is not our English word nous, but the Greek word for mind. To noeo something is to have a rational, mindful understanding of something. It is not just believing something because I choose to believe it, which is what the world does, if you notice. You talk to somebody about religion or politics or the color of the sky these days, and they will ignore any evidence that contradicts the thing they want to believe. And that's what we do. Man will suppress the knowledge of God in their sin. So what God does when he gives faith to people is he opens our minds to be able to see the logic and the proof and the evidence that's been there the whole time. That we just haven't been able to see it. It is referred to as, by theologians as the noetic effects of sins. 
noeo, to reason, and there has been a darkening of the understanding of man in the fall, which we're going to talk about in just a second, of sin, so that sinful man has a complete reason to think logically. I mean, my goodness, we live in a time where logical people, through a scientific method or other methods, have been able to invent and understand all sorts of amazing things. I mean, it's like if you brought somebody from 200, maybe not that long ago, into today, it's like we'd all be burned as witches. It's like, what in the world? You know, this is like, we live in the future, you know, more than any other time, literally. And um, I lost my train of thought thinking about how amazing all these things are. But it is a rational, but the noetic effect of sin doesn't mean that people aren't able to think logically. What it means is the sin has twisted man's mind and logic in such a way that when it comes to understanding the things of God, there's a little thing that happens in there. So that, as we've said before, and I think it's an R.C. Sproul quote, that belief in God is not so much a logical problem as it is a moral problem. As believers who have our eyes enlightened, who have the Holy Spirit, and you see it, it is a logical faith. It just makes sense. I can see even taking scientific evidence. I can see everything, the stars, the heavens declare the glory of God. But for a non-believer trying to logically argue them into the faith, it's not going to happen. Because something has, some other light has to come on. The Holy Spirit has to take a heart of stone and give it a heart of flesh so that they stop taking a stumbling stone of something in their thinking. They have to set, in logic there's a thing called defeater beliefs. A defeater belief is um, you know, I can't believe in that because there's this thing that I can't believe that lets me get there. Like some people, I can't believe that God created everything because I believe in Darwinian evolution. And it's like, okay, so we're going to argue and debate Darwinian evolution. But I like to jump to this in the middle of it and say, just a second though, if I can convince you beyond a shadow of a doubt that Darwinian evolution is incorrect, will you then repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? <laughs> it's like, no. Oh, you just want to argue about this, so we don't have to argue about that. So people set up defeater beliefs to keep them from thinking, I have to believe in God because I don't have to because there's this logical thing in my way. But the thing actually in people's way of believing in God is their sin. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now everybody who hears gets converted. And then we have the parable of the sower that Jesus told, where the the sower is casting out seed. He's preaching the gospel. And it lands in hearts. It lands on different soils. But it's the soil is what determines what happens to the seed. The seed is good. And so the, the soil, the heart, has to be prepared by the Holy Spirit. But we work in that through our prayer and through the preaching of the word. But the first place he takes us with this idea of faith is understanding that the world was created out of nothing. And what he tells these believers are, it's by faith that you get that, that you had this logical understanding of how this works. So it wasn't like everybody back in the day would just go, oh yeah, 
you know, I, I believe that God created everything. They would say maybe another God created that or something else caused this. So throughout mankind, what will happen until the end, non-believers will come up with alternative explanations for the fact that there is a, we're not in a closed universe and that if you do believe in a God, spiritual God that created material things, that that God is the God of the Bible and the Lord Jesus Christ is his son who died for your sins and calls on you to repent and put your faith and trust in him. You can see why people don't want to, to believe these things. And it's understood by faith. And then in verse 4, he goes directly to the fall. So we go first from creation, and then we have the fall. And what we mean by the fall in the church is the original sin of Adam and Eve. When Adam sinned, all of mankind fell from their original righteous state in which they were created into now an, a dead spiritual state. So that only by the work of the Holy Spirit, only by faith, would a person from that point forward be able to please God, which we've seen in chapter 11 and we'll look at again. But the first thing that happens here is this fall. But then we see something strange. You have Abel. And this is who is mentioned. By faith, Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended. He was witnessed to as righteous by God. God commending him, and every time you see that word commending, it's this word witnessed of God by accepting his gifts. God accepted Jesus' gift of himself as righteous for our, in our place and acknowledge that by bringing him back to life. Cain's offering of his gifts was accepted because of faith. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now, also I find it interesting, though he died. And if you didn't know the Bible, you'd be like, okay, that's cool, man. He died and he still speaks. What does he speak? <laughs> that there are two kingdoms, that there are the children of God and there are the children of Satan, that you have Abel represented the kingdom of God and Cain, the kingdom of man, and Cain killed his brother. The first murder in the Bible, two brothers. And God told Cain, your sacrifice is not acceptable to me. And there's a debate as to whether it was because of what was being sacrificed. But I don't think that's the point. I think the point was Cain did not offer his sacrifice in faith. Abel had faith. I'm, I'm, I love you, God. You're asking for this. I'm going to give it to you. Cain was offering it. It's like, well, I got to give God the best of my stuff. You know, I got to have enough for me. Why do I have to do this? And then he sees that God's accepting Abel and not himself. And so now Cain falls into resentment, which will kill you or cause you to begin to kill other people. Because here's, you know, breaking one of the Ten Commandments already. It's like I'm coveting, you know, and just, just jealous behavior. But he kills Abel. Which one had faith? Abel is the one that had faith, and he still speaks. God even says, when he sees Cain, where is your brother? He says, am I my brother's keeper? I mean, come on, what a jerk. And he says, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. I hear your brother's blood crying out to me. And he's saying, and it still speaks. 
And then we see Jesus when he's talking to the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 24 as he's telling them of the judgment to come upon that entire disposition where they have been keeping the, the religion of Jesus Christ alive and they've turned it into and perverted it into a works-oriented thing that was all about making themselves big and bright. And he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, and I'm going to bring upon you all the righteous blood from Abel, all the way to Zechariah, but he remembers Abel's blood and calls it down upon not just Cain, but all of the people who are of Satan and his kingdom. That when the believer lives and dies, God remembers us. And he remembers Abel. And there's not one recorded word of Abel in Scripture. We get it from Cain. We don't hear anything from Abel. But what we see is he's faithful. And that's what speaks. So we must be careful. We do speak, but our faith is what will speak loudest. So we have this fall. And then in verse 5, we have Enoch, who was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended, witnessed to, as having pleased God. Having pleased God. So, hold your place here. We need to look at this one real quick. Genesis chapter 5. I'm going to read this thing. About this guy, Enoch. And we will start verse 5. Okay, so this is the Adam's descendants all the way to Noah. Um, Thus all the days of Adam that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Now, I'm not going to keep reading all this stuff, but I have something circled in my Bible um, as we go to these different people that are listed in this genealogy, and it starts in verse, end of verse 8. Um, these were the days of Seth, 912 years, and he died. And then go to verse 11. Thus... All the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Verse 14, and he died. 17, and he died. 20, and he died. 21, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. The writer of Hebrews is saying, that means he pleased God. This is where he gets it from. Enoch walked with God. What does that mean? To walk with God. What does it mean to walk with someone? You know, somebody walks with me. What's that mean? And what, and what we know it means is, it's like, I'm walking down this path, you're with me. You don't go to the right if I keep going straight. You don't go to the left if I keep going straight. You don't run way up there ahead of me. You don't just stop way back here. You're walking with me. Now, we've climbed mountains with our family, with children. And I've had children go here, go there. But they're walking with us. You know, they might... You don't have to be right here, but they know where we are. Chandler, with all of his extra energy, um, walked up and down the mountain twice to our once because he just circled us as we walked. So we weren't going fast enough, so he just circled as we went forward. But we all walked together, knowing where we were, following one another, keeping up with one another, and that's what Enoch did. He walked with God. We, if we want to please God, we must walk with him. We are in his word. We think about him all the time. We pray without ceasing. We examine our hearts in different situations. We um, 
pray about decision making. We do all these things in light of what does Scripture say? What does the Holy Spirit say? Walking with God. Enoch walked with God. And he fathered Methuselah. 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. This is the pre-flood stuff. We won't get into that. People lived extraordinary long times for different reasons. Verse 24, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Then of Noah, verse 31, and he died. So what you see is in this genealogy of Adam and Noah, you get the repetition, and he died, 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 and he died. Enoch, he was taken up. And Methuselah, he died, and this guy, he died, you know, and then we see the history of the world, and he died, and he died, and he died. But in this genealogy, what we see is hope. God is teaching us, in the middle of a genealogy, something of the gospel. So you have creation out of nothing, and then you have the fall, and now we're going to talk about Enoch. Why Enoch? He's not one of the big names we talk about all the time in the Bible. It was right here, because he pleased God. And how did he do it? He walked with him. Right? And he was taken up. Right? So it was by works, right? No, it was by faith. That was by faith. Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. He walked with God. And it was by faith. And then the conclusion at this point from the author of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit says... And without faith, it's extremely difficult to please God. But that's not what it says. It says it is impossible to please God. Now the Greek word here actually means impossible. Okay? It is not possible. Is there a possibility of pleasing God without faith? No. But surely... (laughs) As hard as we try, as many good things as we do, you know, a person that doesn't have faith. And I have lots of people, lots of people. I have people who say this to me um, frequently when you're talking to them about the faith. And it is self-justification, self-righteousness. Not, I'm better than everybody, but in a way I am. I mean, usually that's what, I try hard, I do good. I think God sees my heart and will say in the last day, I know you tried to do the right thing. And that's going to be good enough. And it's like, and it sounds, I, I can, okay, I see that. But the Bible, the word of God, God himself who will do the judging says, without faith it's impossible to please me. Oh, you did that? Did you do it out of faith? No, uh-uh, no good. Your righteousness is like filthy rags to me. Because it's all tainted by this lack of faith. It's all tainted by the fact that you don't even believe in me. It's all tainted in the fact that you think by doing that, you get into my good graces. It's like somebody walking up to you and just doing something horrific to you, and then they say, well, here, let me give you a dollar. You know, there. Sorry I destroyed your house and burned it to the ground, everything you ever owned, but, you know, I feel real bad about it, and here's a dollar. And then you're just like, no problem. And so we think that's the way... 
forgiveness works because we live in a time of grace. We live in a time of God has given his son to die and taste hell for us, to taste death, to be a curse on the cross. We don't understand the, how horrific that was for God to do, how, how, how difficult that was for God to do, the depth he went, the heights from which he came to save us. And then we think, you know what? That really wasn't necessary because I got this. It's like, no, you don't. Because it is impossible without faith to please God. Because whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. So to please God, you have to draw near to him. It's this presence that God wants with us. It's being with him. It's being united to him by Faith. And again, this word must believe. It's the same word for faith in Greek. You must faith that he exists. This faith, a part of that is faith that he exists. Which we in our English language would use the word believe. But we've got to be careful because sometimes we have the word faith and the word belief is like different things a little bit. But in the Greek it was not. It is a deep conviction of something. Not just, I kind of think, I kind of hope, I kind of believe. It's like, no. Are you going to walk across that suspended bridge up in the mountains? Are you going to have that kind of faith and that kind of thing? I mean, I believe that that bridge holds people up. I do not have enough faith in it to walk across it myself. I don't think. But it's the same thing. So if you're going to have faith, you have to have faith that he exists. You have to believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And that word seek means to, to seek out intently. It's not just I'm kind of trying to, you know, God, you know, I'm a seeker. You know, it's like, no, you desperately want to know if there's a God. You study the scriptures to see if there's a God. You pray to the Lord God in heaven, is, are you real? You seek him out. You, you, and, you, and we would say, but you can't find him. Like that. And the Bible even tells us no one seeks after God. It says in uh, Romans 3.11, no one understands and no one seeks after him. And yet God is a rewarder of those who seek him. We're in a dilemma. And I'm going to close with Ephesians chapter 2 because this solves the dilemma. So if you go to Ephesians chapter 2, It's just one little section, 1 through 10. Paul's going to preach our conclusion here. Because <laughs> without faith it's impossible. No one seeks after him. No one understands. No one has this logical understanding of there's a God. They don't seek after him. He does reward those who seek after him. Without faith it's impossible to please God. <laughs> How do we get faith? Ephesians, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I'm in Galatians. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse I'm sorry, in verse 3. Let me get it together. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Are we all on the same page? <laughs> Ephesians 2, verse 1. You, y'all, by the way, on my website, on um, my Facebook page, there's a link to the y'all version of the Bible. They take all the plural yous and say y'all. And I think that's what we should do. And y'all were dead in the trespasses and sins in which y'all once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Okay, you're dead in these things. Dead. 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace y'all have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let's pray. Lord, you've prepared these things for us that we might walk in them. You've given us, you've given us faith. We pray that you would continue to grow us in this faith, calls us to walk in this faith, calls us to do great things out of our faith. Make our faith like the faith of those of old, that we walk with you. Keep us close, and we thank you for this communion we're about to enjoy. As you remind us of your promised presence and your covenanted promise to be our guide and for us to be your people, and that you provide all for us by faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.